space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We are in Season 3, Episode 7 of this podcast, and we're going back to watch Season 1, Episode 5 of Enterprise, Terra Nova. As always with Temporal Trek, we have our rating system, the L-Car system, and L is for locating the space-time. Now we know that we're in 2151, but it's never actually said what month we are in, uh, but presumably this is set after the previous episodes that we have already reviewed, as it is in the running order as far as the TV show of Star Trek in your universe. So we're going to start with the scenes themselves. We start with Travis and Hoshi on the bridge as they go through the mystery of Terra Nova. We already established that there is something strange about this colony that it was a big experiment it was a new way of humans colonizing other planets other solar systems in fact as we later find on uh, and that something went wrong that travis uh, as a character is always interested in mysteries and that fits with everything we've seen so far particularly when we look back at strange new worlds when he's telling the ghost stories around the campfires um as far as I'm aware, this is the, probably the biggest thing we learn about Travis and his character and will be the only thing that we learn about uh, this character. Uh, I can't remember that many facets of his personality that we get to know beyond the fact that he was a boomer and is an expert pilot. And it's what I love about the character. It's such a strong lead that they could have gone with, uh, that there were so many mysteries that they could have solved and had Travis... Um, you know, flying by the seats of his pants because he's the pilot who's so desperate to solve them. In future episodes, I can I can kind of remember things that will happen, mysteries that the Enterprise will have to solve that Travis could have easily led the way on and would have allowed for more character development for Travis as well. But it also does glaringly seem obvious in this episode itself. There's this setup. Travis is explaining that there's this mystery, but as the episode will progress, we are seeing less and less of Travis. He is not being used to either solve the issue or to offer a different opinion. His input is just reduced to exposition when he could have been such a more important player for this episode. The scene moves on to a mess hall uh, discussion between Trip, T'Pol and Archer, and T'Pol uh, doesn't know what Terra Nova is. She doesn't know the mystery. Of course, this is written in so that we, the audience, can then be educated into it. And yes, I am going to ding this on our hashtag traitrid. It's time you learned to weigh the possible repercussions of your actions. You've always been impulsive. One pan-fried catfish. I'll show you to the nearest airlock. Maybe this will teach you a lesson. Trip does sort of say oh well you know at school we had to learn all these vulcan expeditions in our classes uh, and when t'pol catches him out on it um, she uh, she says just name one it's a nice simple clean and easy put down that was completely unnecessary let's just get on with the exposition why do we need the 
this kind of dig at DePaul and the Vulcans again. Uh, it's getting a little tiresome already. You know, we're in five episodes in Enterprise, and I'm already tired of this. Uh, so this is a hashtag traitorate. The scene itself, though, does play out really well because it, it does establish our timeline so far. We've seen First Contact in 2063. Somewhere between there and then perhaps the year 2071-72, based on the conversations that go on in this episode, we know that there was a moon base in New Berlin. We know that Utopia Planitia is built on Mars and that there are several uh, asteroid colonies and bases that are established in this point as well. Then around about 2071-72, based on the, the rough estimates that they give, that there's this nine-year mission for uh, the ship that will eventually be sent out to Terra Nova uh, to colonize in this great experiment, the first time that humans settle outside of our own solar system. Uh, then you have, obviously, a 50-year gap. Then you'll see Young Archer, which is the first episode of Season 3 of this podcast. Then you would see that all the scenes from First Flight as we saw in our second episode, and then by 2151, you obviously get the Enterprise era. Now, as I'm recording this episode, we have not had Picard Season 2, so I am placing this episode squarely uh, in 2021, but some of the rumours are out there, and uh, I'll put perhaps a spoiler warning here, uh, because it is only rumour, but it could turn out to be true. It looks as though there is a time travel element and there have been scenes shot on a bus that have uh, adverts plastered along the side about the first lunar landings and spaceships capable of travelling uh, just faster than light within our solar system. Uh, and These were behind the scenes photos that were snapped. Uh, they were on the Star Trek movies.com uh, as well as Star Trek.com itself. Um, so I'm presuming that these will be a part of a time travel adventure that Picard and crew will go on in season two of course if you're listening to this episode after season two you'll know whether that's true or not but it could easily play in that 50 year gap between Terra Nova and Young Archer or between First Contact 2063 and the 2071 period where New Berlin and Utopia Planitia is being built we learn that the hostility came about with Terranovans not wanting more people to come to their colony, uh, which seems a bit strange considering that they are colonizing an entire planet and presumably um, there was only one ship's worth of crew uh, which wouldn't be able to sustain a, a usable or viable colony for very long. You need more people, you need fresh supplies of um, people and DNA, uh, you need to be able to breed, reproduce, create more people, you know, you can't have less than... 10,000 people in a certain civilization before it could easily die out within a few generations because of uh, genetic inbreeding. Um, you need a much more diverse set of genes coming in constantly uh, before you can have a viable independent colony. So it seems odd that the Terranovans would completely um, jump into um, a very independent sort of thinking. Um, it makes sense that it's their home that they want to govern how and when people do come in. But given that any reasonably educated society would know that they need fresh people, fresh DNA to come into their society to maintain it, that they would have to give way at some point. So the conflict here between the two colonies 
seems unlikely, given what we know from history, and given that by the time you're able to build a starship that could travel to a colony that far away, that the leaders, uh, this Captain Mitchell character that, that Travis was telling us about in just the earlier scenes, would have known that. So it, it seems like it's drama for drama's sake. Uh, and it's I think, plays into this whole episode uh, as we go on. Paul does ask a very good question. Uh, why did the humans not ask uh, for the Vulcans' help? And it pretty much just comes down to pride. As Trip does say, that when they have to ask the Vulcans for help, it usually comes with strings attached. And whilst I would probably ding him for that, because it's yet another put down of the Vulcans, it it does give us a good inkling to the mindset of humanity at this point, that the trust of the Vulcans isn't there. And there's already um, this pushback with the Vulcans, even back in 2071, which is set 70 years, 80 years or so before Enterprise, that there's already the inklings that the Vulcans were holding us back from the get-go. When they arrive at Terra Nova, a few hours later, they scan the planet. They use satellite-to-surface imagery, which uh, was a great addition. Uh, I remember when I was first watching the episode, when Enterprise first came out, the idea that the spaceship was able to then see the ground. Um, it's something we had never seen, really, in Star Trek, that it was uh, so more remote. It was done by sensors and sensor readings. We very rarely got to see uh, a visual on the screen of the planet's surface. Um, there's only a few a handful of episodes I can think they ever did. So to see that here was a very nice touch. It, was, it made sense that a starship could have that kind of resolution, that camera work. Trip mentions it's a ghost town, so clearly something is wrong. They haven't spoken to this colony for so long. There is this mystery. Uh, you know, what if there was an illness, a disease? What if there was something going on? Given that our crew's have just been through the episodes Strange New World and Unexpected, where things happened to human bodies that were not expected. Why no one thought to even mention, or if the, the, the writers didn't even put in the line, uh, maybe we should put on our spacesuits, our, our biosuits. Uh, you know, we can't risk there being a contaminant um, like we did before on and then mention back the episodes. Or even if you didn't want to make a direct reference, just having that precautionary mindset um, to make it believable that the humans are are learning from previous mistakes. Because at the moment, it just seems as though they're rushing in foolhardy yet again. And it's to Paul, who yet again has to hold them back. But they go down. They're in the pod. It makes it so much easier to film, of course, when you've got actors out of the biosuits. But I think it would have been nice to have seen it out and about in, re in the real world. We learn that the housing units, the, the village that we're seeing, is actually parts of the ship uh, that were taken apart uh, because it was a one-way trip, that the crew were never going to return to Earth. This was going to be their home. Uh, and like I say, the people knowing that they would have been there for that long would have known that there was a, a an expected life span for their colony and that even if they wanted sovereignty and independence they would have at least needed someone to come in to help at some point at this point travis is sent off to download the logs and trying to piece together the mystery by going over to their transmitter as opposed to investigating himself he's already admitted in the very first scene that he is the closest thing they've got to an expert on this entire mystery even if we'd had a few lines from archer saying i you know i learned this as well we could have had archer and travis having their close moment 
we've had a, a Hoshi episode at, at this point. We've had a trip episode at this point. This could have been the Travis episode that we needed to really get to know the character. And we didn't have that. He was purely given the job to go off and uh, find comms, find a message, and that's it. Um, for that point, where is Hoshi? Hoshi would have made a lot of sense, uh, given that we know that there's this tension between the Terranovans and humanity uh, and back on Earth. There is going to be some discourse. There is going to be, if anyone's still alive, uh, someone who doesn't want to know anything, uh, doesn't want to speak to us. So why is the translator not going off to find the signal? Um, which eventually she will do when Travis brings those tapes back to Enterprise. But why is she not on the away team to learn that? Reed is told to establish a perimeter, which makes sense for his character. Um, so far, we know that he's a gun-toting Brit uh, who, who is itching for a fight. So it makes sense, as the security on the Enterprise, that he would have to search the perimeter. And, of course, he is the first one to find the Novans. I do remember when watching this episode for the very first time, wondering if they were going to go sort of the Gorn route from the TOS episode Arena, where it's a colony that gets wiped out by another alien race, and we eventually find out that this race may perhaps were the Novans, the original indigenous Novans. I was wondering if it was going to go the kind of the Native American uh, analogy. And we were going to see some of that in the episode. And some of the earlier scenes kind of support that. We get a, a close-up of one of these Novans, these aliens, potential aliens, um, jumping higher than what Reed can do, um, making us think that perhaps uh, this is an alien culture. Um, or the other thought that I remember flashing through my mind again, the very first time I saw it, was this a more evolved human? Had they changed and altered because of their experiences with the planet? Uh, again, having seen strange new worlds, the idea that the planet itself would have changed the humans. Um, perfectly plausible, given that what we know of evolution. Of course, it should have taken a few more generations than that to have shown a significant difference. But given that Star Trek in the past, up to the point of making Enterprise, had been pretty laissez-faire with the science of evolution you could be forgiven that they were going to sort of jump start it and make it you know go a bit quicker uh, within three generations that human beings had changed into whatever they've changed into uh, but i do remember that those were concerns when i very first watched the episode they tracked down this alien to a tunnel and reed goes in first and he insists around Archer that he goes in first as well. Uh, it fits that character. Again, we've seen the gun-toting warrior uh, when we went uh, into fight and flight. You know, he was the first to pick up the phase rifles. And Archer said, you know, put it away, get the phase pistols. Um, he's insistent that he goes in first. And it makes sense. Again, it fits the character. Unlike other Star Trek shows where the security officer sort of holds back for some strange reason and lets the captain just brazenly walk into danger. Um, Reed knows his stuff. He knows that it's his responsibility to do it first. There's a lot of to and fro in. We see these digger armadillo creatures. Um, I don't remember watching it the very first time round and thinking that that was the alien that perhaps they morphed and, and they were changing or something but i do remember the idea of these digger armadillo type creatures and that we were going to see more uh, fauna of a planet 
which we never really got to see up to that point. Normally you would see whatever monoculture of alien was on that planet at the time. Uh, and then that's it. You would very rarely get to see a pet or an, a, an animal from that land uh, and get to see or understand the ecology r- around uh, the society that whatever ship would be visiting in Star Trek. Gradually we get to see more of the cave. There's this weird orange, purple and bright pink food. There are shells of what look like tortoises, armadillos that have been gutted and scraped clean, uh, perhaps used as as clothing. Uh, We see these people up in the cave and it's really quite creepy and is a really effective imagery. The idea that, that these Novans, as we will later find out what they are, um, are hiding in the cave, watching down and watching Archer uh, and Reed at the same time. One of the Novans pops out, doesn't believe when Archer says, I'm not going to hurt you, and comes out with a machine gun. So I think at that point, that's when you realise, wait a minute, these are the humans, these are the Novans. You know, have they changed? Have they become something else? Uh, have they uh, altered into a, a different way of thinking? Reed is shot, taken prisoner, and uh, T'Pol, and through a phaser fight, uh, we find out that T'Pol manages to scan one and discovers that they are human. Uh, and it's a proper kind of da-da-da kind of moment. Um, I think we kind of worked that out because they've got the machine guns, because they look so human. You know, the, the closer we get to see them, even though all these little visual clues were, were laying down to try and trick us, Eventually you kind of realise, wait a minute, these must be the Novans and they're hiding out in this cave. We now get a conference scene at the back of the bridge. Um, a pretty interesting layout, you know, having the, the map in front and then all of the senior staff are working together to try and fashion a solution. Uh, the militaristic solution seems to be the one that everyone is uh, siding with, uh, including Trip. Hoshi asks uh, about the food situation and how they would have survived for so long. And Flocks kind of leans in with a, a bit of a mansplain, I think, <laughs> because Hoshi should have known the answer to this already. Uh, he mentions how people can live on insects and different uh, rodents and so forth. And as the cultural uh, expert, Hoshi should know that, shouldn't she? That different cultures develop around different food types. Um, they adapt to survive. You know, you have the the um, culinary uh, palate adjusted to uh, necessity as opposed to luxury Um, we in the western society obviously have um, luxurious access to food that we would not normally have in our culture because we have spread around the globe because of our history Um, there are plenty of cultures that have not done that and that they perhaps have a poverty culture and are limited to the sources of food that they have in that area even though they would be sources of food that we would not consider because in our Western culture, we don't see that. Uh, The typical example would be uh, in China, they eat fried crickets uh, and that this is a foodstuff that is abhorrent to us in the West. Uh, Even though there's always that news story that uh, uh, crickets and locusts being fried up in chocolate uh, are a new protein source and will be the new superfood for the future, uh, which is true. Um, but uh, it it seems apparent to us and it, it seemed odd that Hoshi wouldn't already know that and it seemed exposition for exposition's sake and would probably have been a line that probably should have come from Trip. You know, what have they been eating down there? Um, you know, 
have him bring up his famous catfish addiction. Um, I wouldn't have gone five months without my catfish. Uh, probably would have led to another trade trip, but there you go. Um, but <laughs> when it's coming out of Hoshi, it, it seems like a disingenuous question that you're just putting a question into a character's mouth that didn't need to be there. And Hoshi could then have been the one to explain that to Trip. The whole scene, though, does lead up to a really great line from Archer saying that if he can't make first contact with humans, then he has no business being out here. That if he can't relate to people who should intrinsically have the same values as him, um, that his mission is somehow flawed. His logic is flawed in this aspect, in that he sees them as humans. And this is something that will come back as we watch the episode, that at every point the Enterprise crew assumes that these are humans. And just because of their DNA, because of their makeup, because they are bipedal and so forth, that they are humans and they are therefore expected to act human for lack of a better word at no point or at least at this point in the episode does anyone say well these are novans how have they adapted um how are they different um archer doesn't see them as the novan culture they see they see them as humans who have just gone to live somewhere else this is a real concern even today as we are sort of in the fledgling stages of a potential uh, expansion to mars or at least the moon uh, with spacex and so on there are serious questions about how a group of humans moving off planet permanently, uh, or at least for a, a significant amount of time, will psychologically change. They will have a, a different outlook. Their concerns will not be our concerns, the same way that um, the people in China eating the locusts and crickets have a completely out, different outlook to the Western culture about food. The Martians would have exactly different uh, idea about their culture as opposed to human culture to them sunlight is completely different literally down to the basics of weather on the planet is completely different so to not treat the novans differently from the get-go again seems like a flaw of archers but understandable he is still seeing them as human because of their dna he hasn't seen the cultural aspect as well because of that it, it does bring into question why Archer takes his next decision where he brings Phlox down on his away team. Um, of course, he needs a medic with him to help Reed, who has been shot, who has a bullet in his leg. Um, but surely there would be another medic on board who looks human to have done that procedure. It seems odd that he would bring Phlox, who looks so completely non-human. And this plays into uh, a lot of questionable choices that uh, captains have made in our previous podcast episodes back in the 20th century and so on, that you bring a different crew member. Um, you adjust your crew, not necessarily just because of their skill set, but perhaps how the local indigenous population would perceive them. Would it be explosive? Would it be uh, dangerous to bring someone who looks so unhuman inhuman um, down to a potentially hazardous and armed civilization down on the planet even if you think they're humans um, your choice of away team should also include how they would perceive your away team uh, why didn't you take a uh, human medic down to, to at least uh, administer an early form of triage uh, that flocks could then repair once they get back to the ship Speaking of, uh, meeting the culture. And this is uh, the bit, I think, from 
lot of the research I've done on this episode, uh, the eye rolly bit, I think people come come up against this bit. It's uh, what I like to call the the Lord of the Flies of this episode. Uh, how the the children of Novan culture, who have now become the adults, have created their own language. Uh, they talk about skyships. Uh, they talk about the overside. Um, they you know don't track back. You won't. You'll lose yourself in this. Um, you'll confuse your path. And of course, we are coming up to a famous insult in a moment called shale, uh, which is a very very clever way of getting past the senses. I think, um, even if it does make an eye roll or two. To be honest, it doesn't really bother me, and it makes perfect sense. Of course, language is going to change. If you spend three generations in a completely different area, um, your descendants will change to adapt that area. Um, if I were to up sticks from the UK and go and live in a far-flung part of Earth, uh, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, would talk completely different to me based on their experiences, their culture, uh, their new way of life. So to suddenly uproot those great-grandchildren and perhaps move back to the UK and then expect them to live in the UK that would take a huge amount of adjustment. So whilst it's a bit eye-rolly, it's a bit silly, but the talk of Overside and Skyships, uh, and it sounds like, you know, an old apocalypse movie, you know, um, in the before times, uh, before the, the boo-boos and all this kind of stuff. I know it seems silly, but it makes a lot of sense and it does the work it needs to do in this 45-minute episode of showing us that the culture has moved on that these aren't just humans who've been left behind this is a new culture it does make me think why hasn't hoshi been down here just because they're humans doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to speak like humans uh, they would have their own culture it's lucky that for some reason they still speak english unless of course perhaps the universal translator is built into archer's communicoms device but it seems unlikely but Hoshi would still need to be there because as an expert translator, she would also be an expert in context. She would understand where this was coming from. Again, it would give us a chance to get to know other characters in Enterprise. Flox, however, is awesome in this scene and makes full use of the fact that not only is the, the Doctor, but his calm delivery, his easy way of spotting a problem with one of the Novans, the eldest Novan in front of them. He calmly scans her and realises that she does have, uh, an, for them, for the Novans, an incurable form of cancer, but to the Enterprise crew, a very curable disease. There is an issue, I suppose, of privacy in that he just blurts out what the prognosis is, that she does have this kind of lymphatic cancer. Um, but given that it's an important diplomatic nugget and he already seems to spot the potential that Archer could use this to talk to the Novans um, and show goodwill, it shows how great a character Flox is. He's not only medically proficient, but he realises that his knowledge is useful to Archer as well. They agree to read Staying Behind in exchange for uh, Nadette, the lead Novan, to go up to Enterprise to receive this medicine for her disease. Yes, there are issues where you could say, well, this is a bit trusting on their part, you know, um, even with leaving Reed behind and having a sort of tit-for-tat with your prisoners, 
it's a bit trusting to just suddenly say, yeah, I'm going to go up to a spaceship with you, even though I have no concept of what a spaceship is. And last time I even thought about a spaceship, I was five years old, as we later find out. We do find out that her spaceship was called the Conestoga, uh, which, uh, if you're familiar with your Western movies, um, you'll know this word very well. If you're not, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, the Conestoga is a type of uh, covered, fabric-covered wagon and is very popular in uh, the pioneering age of the Americas um, where it was carrying large quantities of colonists food and supplies across the prairie Um, so it is deeply ingrained to American culture but here we have a bit of context Um, I, I sort of know that because I grew up with western movies through my father but I would only know that because of those movies and because of a sort of sort some awareness of American history. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, my education of American history is very, very limited. Um, but imagine saying Conestoga to someone who has never seen those movies, who doesn't know what's going on. Um, you have no concept of what a Conestoga is, so you wouldn't get the reference. And here we are talking to a bunch of people who are talking about losing your path, being in the oversight, not tracking back. They are using words that to us wouldn't make sense if we hadn't lived in caves and don't really know what's going on. Once we're back in sickbay, uh, Nadette screaming and banging to try and get out of this MRI machine, which is a part of the sickbay set and a wonderful addition because you really do see that transition from our day technology all the way up to the enterprise technology and the fact they've still got this mri looking machine uh, and yes of course she is confined and confused and she's in a light tunnel when she's been living in a, a cave her entire life we get a few more confuse your path lose your tracks bury your drawings as they attempt to try and convince them that they're actually humans that they are human colonists who came to terra nova they are not novans um, again where's hoshi Where's Travis, for that matter? Travis knows the ins and outs of that ship. He knows all the details. He could drop this knowledge. Um, It's left to Archer to show the pictures of Nadette and potentially all the other crew members that she would remember. Um, Why aren't Travis and Hoshi being the intermediaries in these scenes? Uh, As important as Archer is, it's Travis's story. Uh, and this entire episode should have been Travis's story. Hoshi could have been there to discuss being uncertain. We could have had a great callback to fight and flight. With Travis, we could have had him talking about being a boomer and how his mindset is different to everyone else on this ship. That just because he's a human and that he serves with humans, they are not the same kind of humans. He has a different upbringing. He has a different mindset. And then he could relate to Nadette and all of the other Novans. You could bring him down and he could then sit with them and talk to them. Um, it would have been a wonderful way of ending this episode, as I will probably mention later, that I think would have been a unique take that we hadn't seen in Star Trek before, and using Travis to best effect. We now discover that Paul realises that an asteroid hit shortly after the Novans first arrived um, on the Conestoga, and it bathed the entire planet with radiation, forcing them underground and possibly accounting for the uh, the anger Terranovan colonists felt towards humanity back on Earth. 
Archer is also then a bit of mansplaining uh, to Hoshi and Travis who are pointing out um, that there is a transmission as well and that the last message sent out by the Novans didn't reach Earth because of the radiation and it was blocked and Archer is just exposition dumping that there was these strained relationships uh, with Earth and that the last things that the children who survived the radiation would have heard was their parents talking about the enemy um this would have been another ripe callback if we're going to have archer in this episode as the prime part of the enterprise uh, crew to him talking about being young and hearing his father talking about the vulcans uh we could have had a great little callback perhaps even a flashback scene for archer to see young archer hearing henry archer talk badly about the vulcans and that that moves into his childhood we can have a nice trifecta from Hoshi, given the the intellectual, uh, cultural aspect of, of being different and being the Novans, to Travis being an example of a different kind of human and relating in that aspect, and how that there is a, a, a bridge, a gap, um, a, a common denominator between humanity and the Novans, in that Archer has his enemies the people that he believes were going to hurt them and hold them back just as the novans think that the humans are going to hurt them and gut them and and force them from the oversight but instead of going that track the episode seems to want to deliver some more false jeopardy it seems to want to up the stakes a little bit more as Phlox then tells us that uh, the radiation has caused a microcellular decay and that if they remain in that region where the radiation originally fell, eventually all of the Novans will die, as it is unspooling all of their DNA. Um, there is a bit of a worrying line from Flox saying that he doesn't have any anti-radiation medicine that would cure it on a starship? That seems like shale to me. Archer seems to be getting through to Nodette by showing her pictures of Vera Fuller, who he has tracked down as her mother. But this is odd piano music playing in the background of the episode um, that makes it seem a bit like a Hallmark movie it's a bit too coy a bit too um, simplistic and it, it really stands out it sort of grates against the scene I'm I'm so used I guess to the Star Trek way of swelling the music with an orchestral theme and this seemed a bit more plinky plonky and it didn't seem to really fit um, the episode or even what I would expect from a Star Trek episode as well. And with that disconnection with how Star Trek runs it, we then get a typical Star Trek trope as the episode shifts from its setup, its concept, to a debate. And I do like this debate, and it is the thrust of the episode, and I wish it had been played into a lot more. Uh, instead, it's, it's kept very, very... Um, close to the chest it it doesn't it's not very overt with its message about cultural impact and cultural destruction as well and T'Pol says that well why don't we just stun them all and take them and bring them back to earth it will just solve the problems uh, let's beam a couple of stun grenades in and we'll take them back to earth Archer is saying a good thing in that he doesn't want to force the Novans he wants to make them understand and he wants to talk to them and talk them into bringing them back to to earth the question of they are anything other than human never comes into his mind that he never even questions the idea of taking them away from their planet he just sees that as that's what he's supposed to do that that is the mission 
And it's to Paul who then comes back and says, you'd be destroying the Novan culture um, because you'd be teaching them to read and write. You're changing their context. As I said earlier, um, you've changed the context of where they're living and you then change them. Which seems a bit odd coming from a Vulcan character. As we've seen in our previous episodes uh, in a Broken Bow, the pilot episode, we have found out that the Vulcans have been holding back humanity, that they have stopped some of their movements into the stars. Fight and flight was all about going against them, taking those risks. Can't be afraid of the wind. If the Vulcans have been holding back humanity, they have been interfering. They have been destroying that human need for exploration, or at least tainting it and changing their culture. So when Tapo is saying this about Archer and that he would be looking to change the Novan culture, it seems like a double standard. Perhaps Tapo is saying it because the Vulcans realized what they've done, and perhaps there is this sea change in their politics that they realize they went a bit too far and they've been too harsh on the humans, and that she's trying to make up for it. Um, we will later find out that probably that isn't the case, but it could have been a direction for this episode to go that perhaps the Vulcans are changing their mind about humanity. And so her lecturing Archer on his involvement with the Novans is the first step to giving over uh, a bit more control to the humans and stepping back and not holding them back as much. However, from debate, we then get to the classic tried and tested cliche tropes. And this is the problem that I have not only with this episode but the the early parts of Enterprise and I've mentioned it in previous episodes about not packing your punch it relies on a complete fortunate accident to happen they land the pod it sinks into one of the unstable caves it creates a bit of dilemma a bit of drama uh, it leads to one of uh, the Novans being trapped under a tree log for some reason. I don't know how a tree log gets into a cave, but who knows, considering that when we saw the shuttle going in, it was completely blanket earth with no trees around it. Um, but he's trapped under the log, there's water rising inside the cave, and if they don't get him out, he's going to drown. Uh, there's lots of to and froing. Alch has to cut the tree in half using a phaser, it's all about trust, but takes what is such a good idea about culture and understanding one another with so many characters that could have offered a fresh perspective to then just go for the I'm going to save someone's life and therefore you're going to trust me cliche and trope which we've seen so many times in Star Trek it was the disappointment of this episode it it's something we've seen so many times and I just wish we had something better it's something that I think Star Trek Discovery does really well. It realises that all the characters have something to say about this mission, this event that's going on, and that their perspectives are what make it interesting. You can then have all of your action scenes, your tropes and saving someone's life, but really the crux of how you solve the problem isn't about the action, it's about the characters. And that's the, the route that uh, they get lost in. They lose their path in this episode and they are going to lose their tracks and they need to get past the shale. Fortunately, uh, Nadette just remembers in time to see her way back. She remembers the past 
Uh, it's lucky that she just remembered it just after they saved the life of uh, one of the Novans. And Reed is saved and everything's hunky-dory. That's it. Episode gets wrapped up very, very quickly. And that's the disappointment. It's too quick. It it needed to be more. If Enterprise had been given the chance to perhaps ex- explore this for a couple of episodes, you know, make this a, about um, understanding cultural differences, and there's the to and froing with the Novans. Is that they, could they trust them? Could they come back to them? Um, all the while, you know, Reed is in mortal danger because he's got this bullet in his leg. Will it go gangrenous? Will he have to lose his leg? You know, there's a tension there. That could be your ticking clock. It's not about saving some random Novan that we haven't really got to know at this point. Uh, we've seen him in a couple of scenes and then that's it. There's there's drama that could have been milked from so many different aspects. Uh, Travis being a boomer and his conversations as well. But I'll come into this in our ratings criteria. The final scene is Travis sitting in the mess deck um, trying to educate T'Pol in other Earth mysteries. We get a mention of Judge Crater. Now, uh, if you have been listening to this podcast, if you go right back to the beginning of Season 1, Part 1, Episode 1, where we're in the 1930s, in the 20th century, we mentioned Judge Crater in that time, uh, who was a famous judge who disappeared during all of the Prohibition mob crackdowns. He disappeared through mysterious circumstances. So this is a callback to a previous episode with all of our history segments back in the day. We also get a uh, mention of Amelia Earhart, which is a great Star Trek reference, as well as historical mystery. Um, As I'm recording this, I believe that one has actually been solved, that uh, the body of Amelia Earhart was actually found miles away from her lost known position. Uh, So unfortunately, that one was kind of solved, at least in your timeline. Archer then gives uh, the task of writing up the report for this mission to Travis, which to me kind of makes no sense in that he wasn't involved in any of it. He wasn't given any responsibility for it. He had a few lines here and there and then was forgotten for the rest of the episode. It makes no sense that he would be writing the mystery, even though he loves those mysteries. But I would say I would watch that show. I would watch the Travis Unsolved Mysteries show where he's sort of a Indiana Jones type Fox Mulder investigator, the Mayweather Mysteries. Uh, would have been a fantastic show uh, and if ever they get to make it you know, get in contact with you Paramount I'll gladly give you that idea um, <laughs> that one's for free um, but that is the end of the episode so we have located our point in time we now move on to our next criteria in our Elkar system and that is consequences what are the consequences of this episode well first of all uh, there is a consequence to just beaming down or going down to a planet without your bio suits on uh, or having some sort of contamination survey go ahead. Um, what if this whole colony had been wiped out by a d- disease or plague? Uh, yet again, there is no consequence. You go straight down and of course your security officer gets shot. This time, fortunately, not being phasered and killed, he is just shot with a bullet, which can easily be fixed by flocks. But perhaps you should check first, just like in Strange New Worlds. So there's clearly a consequence that's happened here that they have not learned from the previous consequences. Other consequences would be the impact on culture, uh, the assumption that someone should be a certain way because of their heritage, because of their DNA, and not necessarily their culture, which is two different things. 
But I think the biggest consequence for this is that we had an established character arc for Travis um, as the mystery solver, as the man who loves a good ghost story uh, and a deep mystery to solve. The biggest consequence from this episode is that we learn something about Travis and hopefully we'll see it developed. But having already watched Enterprise, knowing that it won't. And that brings me to alterations. Yes, it has to be a Travis episode. And it's not a Travis episode. This has to be an exploration more of his love of mystery, his life as a boomer and being different from the other humans on board and having a different outlook. It would have made for so much of a better episode if we hadn't started where he's talking about Terra Nova. But actually, he comes to Archer. He goes into the room and says, Sir, I've been flying the ship in a certain direction and I realised that actually if we take a small detour, we could actually discover this. And then he's the one to explain to everyone Terra Nova that T'Pol wouldn't know anything about it and that she would be the audience again, as she was in this episode. But it comes from Travis. Travis is the one to explain the innermost details. Everyone's sort of heard of the mystery of Terra Nova, a bit like, you know, the Loch Ness Monster or um, your, your Shergars, um, but no one really sort of gave into it because they were too busy on their careers and things like this. But Travis being the boomer who grew up on those mysteries, he's the one to explain it and he's the one to lead the mission that Archer sends him down with a team like Hoshi, with flocks perhaps, to go and find out. Uh, and that we get a a nice story on the planet and just staying on the planet perhaps that explains what's going on Reed can be with them we can still have that dynamic where he's taken prisoner and he's being held and that perhaps um, it's a negotiation between Travis Hoshi and the leaders of the Novans and we see about culture uh, this thing gets relayed back to Archer so we can still have that scene between T'Pol and Archer about destroying the culture and that change we could have had a great extra part to that scene where Archer says well this is funny coming from you because you're the Vulcans and you've been holding us back and you've been destroying our culture of exploration uh, and that that would have been that extra punch to the scene again it comes down to that extra punch that uh, Enterprise just didn't seem to want to go a little bit deeper and have a bit of a stronger 2-4 that there isn't just one thing about this episode about us destroying the Novan culture, it's about perhaps the Vulcans destroying humanity's ambitions that we really play into that concept and that's what's missing, the extra punch so for me, alterations expansions are going to be uh, a Travis led episode a punchier scene that has many more layers to it that calls into question other aspects of the universe that aren't necessarily directly related to this episode, like the Vulcans but also that we get a spin-off show, we have to have a spin-off show where it's Travis Mayweather Mysteries and he goes out and just investigates them, early 22nd century style um, after the Enterprise missions are all over and the Federation is about to start the Federation wants to solve all the mysteries of the galaxy so Travis gets sent out to solve them. That definitely is my biggest alteration. Recommendations is our next ratings criteria. As always, two strands of this, and the first one is recommendations to fans. Is this a good episode for Star Trek fans? It's a little bland. Uh, 
it it loses its way <laughs> to use the terminology from the episode itself it's it's a little bit too by the numbers it has a great setup a great premise in this mystery colony that got lost and it loses its way very very quickly it just descends into uh, the Hallmark movie to go with that plinky plonk music I was talking about so even though it is actually by the numbers a good Star Trek episode in that it plays with the exact same formats we've seen a dozen times before because it does it a dozen times before it's nothing new it's nothing we haven't already seen and it's kind of played just very basic there's not much meat on that bone so even to Star Trek fans I don't think I'm going to recommend Terra Nova so to non-Star Trek fans it's a very easy to follow episode there's a lot of intrigue um, the idea of a mystery colony is something that I think is much more relatable to a new person coming into Star Trek who doesn't perhaps know the the law of Star Trek uh, and knowing that there's this idea that there were ships before the Enterprise but they were too slow that there was that pioneering age where humans were expanding into the universe it gives us the history that we would kind of need to know the groundwork but because it is still very bland it it, it doesn't really offer anything um, that the characters are too trusting because it plays into that 45 minute format the characters aren't really behaving how you think they would behave that they're they're not suspicious enough of the humans they don't really um, put up enough fight against the agenda that Archer is pushing and because of that I think it falls down and I'm going to say I'm not going to recommend Terra Nova to non-Star Trek fans so that's it. Another Temporal Trek episode in the bag. So all remains on the L-Cars system is the S. Set up for the next episode. And join me next time for Season 3, Episode 8 of this podcast in Season 1, Episode 6 of Enterprise as we examine the Andorian incident at timestamp 0 minutes and 0 seconds. As always, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temple Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temple Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at Riding Coattails simplesite.com The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.